Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee. This week, I had the pleasure of talking with Stephen Wolf. You can find him on Twitter at at perfinjust. Uh, I, I very greatly appreciate his work over there as he sort of uh, adds commentary to sort of the insane uh, evangelical world's commitment to moving left. Um, I highly recommend following him there. Um, today, I wanted to frame our discussion with talking to someone who just got out of a coma. And the last thing that he remembers is the young, restless, and reformed where we were all going to Together for the Gospel. We all read the Gospel Coalition. We were all talking about gospel-centered. What if a person went into a coma, came back, uh, you know, came to life, essentially, in 2022, how would we frame what's happened in the last, uh, you know, two decades, essentially decade and some change. So that is, uh, essentially the way we framed our discussion today. Before we get to Steven, I want to continue to beat the drum for Canon plus, please check it out. Look into Canon Plus. Look into subscribing. If you don't want to subscribe, you can download the app. You can stay in touch with us with notifications, and you get all the podcasts in one place. So that might be a feature that you're interested in. There's also a, several opportunities to to dive into some uh, content that's in front of the paywall. But I want to encourage you to subscribe. Canon is doing some very exciting things. One of which was the Even Exile documentary. When we have you guys supporting us through the app, things like that are possible. On the horizon, we have very exciting things like the George Gilder doc and, and many more things like that. You get all kinds of content right at the tip of your fingers. It's very, very worth it. I highly recommend you subscribe at mycanonplus.com. Without further ado, meet Stephen Wolf. All right, now welcoming on special guest Stephen Wolf. He is a postdoctoral fellow at Princeton. He is a up and coming, brand new canon author. And I wanted the opportunity to introduce him to our audience. Stephen, thanks so much for offering your time in. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me on. My guess is a good portion of my audience has probably seen you. Uh, a menace on Twitter as at perf injust. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's close. That's right. Yeah. Injustice. It is injustice. Sorry about that. Uh, at perf injustice. Is that right? I think it, yeah. Perf injust. Injust. Perf injust. That's where, that's what I knew I, that I was on skates <laughs> yeah. right there. I was like, Oh no. Um, awesome. At perf injust. Uh, I was telling you before we started, I the way that I kind of wanted to introduce not only, what I see you up to, or or even just our the particular discussion that I wanted to have with you, um, is is a, is political in nature. And what I thought was maybe um, if someone was deep into the young, restless, and reformed, this is like 2006 to 2011, 2012, and they went into a coma and then they came out of it in 2022, and they looked at the evangelical world and sort of how it's relating or how it's functioning to politics, I imagine they would be stumped. And that's probably wherever they were on the spectrum or anything like that, they would just be, they would probably be shocked. Um, 
What do you think about that? Or do you do you uh, were you around for that for that era of evangelicalism? So yeah, I, I mean, I was I, I was an atheist until I was seventeen, and okay. that was uh, I think two thousand when I came to Christ. And then I then I went off to military school at West Point, and so I was a little bit separated from some of what was going on in the evangelical world. Okay, but I picked up I picked up enough uh, before that and afterwards, um, and. So yeah, I I think it's a good framing of um, kind of the question of what things are like today because if you it's easy to get wrapped up in what's happening now and not realize that only a decade ago some some of the, some of the things people think now would would shock uh, shock a lot of people uh, 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 and I, I remember there was a, I think what illustrated this I, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Carl Truman is uh, was it no no uh, not no spins and what is it. Oh, or uh, vacation spin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is back when Amy Bird was on it, and they were talking about how things ch- has changed. And Carl Truman kind of was like, "Oh, I remember back in the day when we used to argue about justification. That was, you know, back like so." Here's here's like a you know uh, historian of theology thinking back fondly of the times when we could debate like these finer points of theology. Uh, you know, back back when the kind of the reform crowd was beaten up on the theonomists and all that on, on just all these things. And, and of course, like Amy Bird saying, well, she's like, yeah, but well, of course, and she's going to push her certain social agenda. But that really, I think that moment made, made me think about, yeah, the changes uh, that, that have occurred when it seems back then we were fighting over, like you have uh, just think of the, the together for the gospel conference, which I attended in 2008, I think it was, Right. And on and the people who spoke, uh, it was John MacArthur, Piper, um, um, Thabiti was there. I'll never forget the Thabiti. I I can't say his last name, so I don't know him personally. On, on but, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I remember he spoke and he got a standing ovation from the crowd. I, I it wasn't just, oh, thank you for coming and speaking. It was like it was it was as if he just gave the the speech of the century um and then Dever was there and al Mohler. um you just think of how back then it was what's the gospel and everyone was basically calvinistic and they were firmly rooted in that and then 10 years later you have together for the gospel where macarthur's not there i don't think Mueller was there no Mueller was not he was but if the beat was not there uh, as I recall, it's just uh, Dever and uh, Le- uh, what's his name? Legan Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Legan yeah. Duncan. Yeah. And you see, so you just see these, these, that profound change. And it shifted from, I mean, you, you see the debates online, you see some people trying to sort out justification and trying to keep some people from headed to Rome and swim in the Tiber. But most of the discussion is about social issues, uh, political issues. And then the political theology surrounding those, and uh, that so it's it's a profound change. Yeah, I I I find my I found myself um, in those years. I uh, lived in North Texas, and is often I grew up in a non-denominational church, so um, I really liked the community. But anytime I could, me and a few friends would run down to um, hear Matt Chandler speak. He had a Saturday night service. And so we would go on Saturday nights as often as we could. And um, it's been interesting for me. I was a I was 18 to 20 during those years. Um, so people that I really loved, um, you know, now looking at it like this morning, um, 
<laughs> the the TGC tweeted out there they they're doing these good faith debates, which I think are very very funny. And <laughs> it's a, a huge emphasis and I wanted to get to this too, but a huge emphasis on like, you know, I just see the TGC Twitter retweeting their own people saying like this is an example of of discussion between two people that disagree. Um but today in particular is Karen Swallow Pryor uh, recurring guest on the show, by the way, a, a huge fan of Cannon Calls. Um, uh, she was debating with another fellow about should the pro-life movement be narrow, just about the womb, or should it be really broad, broom, uh, womb to tomb? You know, it's it, and it just seems like I don't know any. Um, and growing up, you know, I grew up in Texas, so you know, Republican, conservative, Christians that would ever, even in a million years, think to pit a debate that way. Um, so anyway, it, it's, yeah. it's, it seems like uh, things have, have accelerated. They obviously through the 2000 teens, um, all kinds of, you mentioned the social issues kept getting, were, were brought up in the church and all of a sudden we found like fault lines, maybe where people didn't expect them. Um, I, I sent a, tw- a tweet of yours to you and said, hey, I, I definitely want to mention this one. You did this in August of 2020, and I thought this was, uh, especially in light of the good faith, I thought it would be interesting to, get your, to hear more about this. But you said, when the evangelical elite talk about persuasion, quote-unquote, in the public sphere, they usually assume the following ethos. Number one, punch right, thoughtfully engage the left. Number two, ascribe good faith, there it is, to the left, despite many reasons not to and ascribe bad faith to the right. Number three, attack the right to gain credibility with the left, especially when it's about the right's hypocrisy, quote-unquote. Number four, credibility, quote-unquote, with the left is always the form that shapes the rhetoric. Number five, persuade the left not of ideas, but of your worthiness for toleration and willingness to be respectable. (laughs) Six, uh... I won't go through all of these, but six, treat every accusation of moral condemnation from the left, no matter how crazy, is an opportunity for public self-criticism. I'm going to put the whole thread in the show notes so folks can go see okay. it. It's really worth yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I periodically add to it. When I, oh, when I there it is. Something. Got it. So, so I have, there's like 29. I didn't, you know, wow. or 27, I guess, at this point. But so yeah, throughout, throughout the last couple of years, I've been adding, but yeah. I think that first one alone is worth the price of admission. Do you mind talking about how you, so that was in 2020, obviously absolute chaos. Um, how, what, so that's a play that I see being run that I feel like maybe not everyone would be able to put their finger on. A lot of folks would be like, what is happening? Why in the world would he say that? Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah. Well, first let me, I mean, let me talk about, so don't forget the, the idea of the good faith. Yeah. Um, and, and with the, the TGC debates, uh, what, one, one thing to notice is that uh, when you have two sides like that and you call it good faith, I mean, one of the functions that functions rhetorically to say, oh, it's a good faith discussion between people who disagree. Okay. So now I think they did one where one's like, is it okay to be woke or is it okay to be not woke? Right. Or an anti woke. Now, that framing and then calling it good faith means that, well, you know, there are thoughtful, reasonable people who are woke. And so that, that's, a, that's an okay position to have. So the, the framing itself marks a shift. Because, I mean, imagine if we had a good faith discussion between a, like a, you know, a, a kinist or like a, yeah. you know, you know, I, people probably know a kinist is, uh, they were kind of popular 10, 10 years ago on Facebook. Right. But, um, 
between a kinist and a non-kinist. We'd be like outraged, or you know, many people be outraged that I, they're having a debate, a good faith. How can you have a good faith debate between a kinist and a non-kinist? Because kinist, by definition, can't be good faith or bad. So you can tell that the, the framing of woke, anti-woke is that it actually itself shifts the kind of Overton window to the left by affirming that you can be a credible, you know, reasonable, good faith Christian who holds those, those views. So it's like, I mean, if, if woke is another way of saying, like blaming white people for everything, then you're basically saying that it's okay to blame white people. You know, they're going to dispute that. But I mean, if that's kind of what it seems would be what it means, then basically the, the it's, it, you can be a good faith person and attribute everything to whiteness and all that. So that, that, so that, that's just something to keep in mind. Like it's easy to be, to be kind of sucked into these, like the rhetoric and the framing where the framing itself does work for a position. Right. Uh, and so that's just something that I think important. Um, but th- this, this relates, I think, to this idea of punching right and engage left. And you see this phenomenon all the time among people, uh, among evangelicals who, consider themselves conservative, where they spend most of their time uh, on social media attacking people who are who they consider right. Uh, and that's usually people that, yeah, but either center right or right, but it's people on, on the right. What it really means is they're attacking their fellow Christians for certain political opinions. But then when it comes to the left, it's this more uh, kind of thoughtfully engage them, become winsome. Uh, you you don't do anything to offend them. You try to, you ascribe good faith to them. Um, but to, to the right, you just assume they're evil and they ought to be denounced. And so th- this follows a pattern. Uh, and because, because you, when you see the pattern, you have to ask, well, why do they do this? Uh, and I think the best explanation, I mean, well, there, there's different explanations, but I think one of the explanation is that uh, I, I think that there's, there's, that's definitely already part of kind of the secularist culture and they're kind of enmeshed, uh, enmeshed in that. And so I think naturally they would lead to do that. Also, it's, it's this, it, when everything, including your politics is based in a, a political, like political moral witness. And when you think of the audience of that witness as the coastal elites or the people who are powerful and have power of culture and culture and the government, and you want to be winsome to them, well, they hate the right. And so you hate the right as well. You attack the right. So in order to make the gospel winsome to these people, you have to essentially punch right, but thoughtfully uh, engage them. So can you, um, can you say more? I had, I, I recently had Josh Dawes on to talk about, he had a thread that went vaguely viral about, uh, I have a confession to make. I was an evangelical elite. Um, I'm not sure if you remember that or saw that thread. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you talk in your even in your thread here where you're sort of laying out the rules of engagement, the new rules of engagement from evangelical elite? Can you talk a little bit about like, do you see elite functioning the same way he did? How how would you describe the evangelical elite? So I don't I don't recall exactly what he how he understands the elite, but the way the way I describe the elite is that they when I say they're elite, that doesn't mean that they're better educated. It doesn't mean that among that they're the, um, it, it doesn't simply mean that they are kind of the higher uh, leadership among evangelicals. I specifically mean that they are a part of the elite class um, within the broader American elite. Not that they're actually, but I see sure. around a quotes, but they function as if they're the elites for the broader American class. 
And for that reason, their job is to be a sort of medium from regime or kind of the elite talking points to evangelicals, because no one's going to listen to MSNBC on this or that issue. But the way the evangelical elite operate is to essentially be the medium or the means by which the sensibilities and the regime talking points are then filtered to an evangelical audience. So they, they kind of function in that way because yeah, like we're not, we're the, these are the sort of people we're going to listen to. They're the, they're the leaders. They're the ones we'd consider credible. I think one is just that recently the, the, the denouncing of like white supremacy that you see. So you turn on MSNBC, they're denouncing white supremacy. What is white supremacy? No one really seems to know, <laughs> but right. th- that doesn't matter. And then you, you pull up Twitter and who's denouncing white supremacy? It's these evangelical leaders. And can you ask them like, okay, who's the white supremacist? Who believes this and that? What do you, they won't actually answer. But, but that really they, they are, they, they, again, like they are, they're the medium for that to be. And so they frame then white supremacy is evil because it's opposed to the gospel. It's against the law of God. God hates it. They, they then, they, they take the talking point and they theologize it to make it um, something we can then take and, and affirm. You know what I mean? Like they totally they theologize that. So that's, I mean, that's how I understand what they do. Now, I, I, I do want to say before you ask another question, I, I want to say, I, I don't think it's a conspiracy uh, that I don't think as if sometimes I don't think they even know they're doing it, but I think just that they at least function in that role. Right. So it, it's, it's not as if it's like some grand conspiracy. It's just that they have, there are, yeah, it's just, they, they kind of assumed that role by sort of nature, perhaps from their educational background, perhaps from thinking a lot about, well, what's going to please or what's going to make me winsome to my secularist professors or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So speaking of, of that, I imagine with, for our friend that just got out of um, chemo, sorry, chemo, my bad. Uh, our friend that just got out of his, um, what did, what did what illness did I give that person that just woke up? Uh, his uh, who? <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I frame this discussion by putting someone in a coma. That's what it is. So the our friend that just woke up from a coma. I imagine. Oh, uh, oh, oh I see. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> put him in chemo. Now, now, now yeah. <laughs> I put him in chemo and other things like that. But he just woke up uh, from his coma. I imagine someone for him that would be a surprise is uh tim keller so um i see tim keller operating or whoever's running that twitter i've heard rumors um (laughs) he so i I see certain of the moves in your thread happening how would you tell him about tim keller currently if he asked so yeah uh well i mean let me say that that i I didn't grow up. I I didn't grow up um, knowing about Tim Keller. Yeah. Kind of as a baby Christian or as a child, or even when I became a Christian, I wasn't in that orbit. I was from California. I was in kind of the MacArthurite sure circle, so I I didn't know him very well. And I was I've never in my life been tempted to be a lefty. <laughs> um, so I, I get the sense that people, the people who at one point like James would liked. Keller and followed him. It's because that he did something for them that kept them in the faith. But that was never, I was never, 
that never had my issue. I'm not, you know, praise myself. I'm just saying it just never led to me reading him very much. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what people thought 15 years ago, but uh, I, I think that, I, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer your, your, give you an answer directly. Um, but I think with, with Keller, uh, I think someone might be kind of surprised with how how much he emphasizes the third way, especially how bad things have become. So 10, 10, 15 years ago, it's prior to gay marriage being forced upon every state in the country. It's prior to the, the transgender, you know, insanity. Uh, and it's kind of in the middle of Obama years, Bush years. Things are kind of hectic, uncertain, but still, well, things could go, I guess, either way, maybe. Uh, but now that now that we're in this situation where the the left is just absolutely insane, um, you just have to wonder. Well, eventually, no, you're going to drop that third wayism. But he he just stuck with it. Can you and talk? I, 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 Go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. The, so the third way, he tends to. Now I, I say like the, the third way in politics. There isn't actually a tradition of, of third way in politics that has a coherent vision. It's like an Alan Carlson type thing. He has a book, <laughs> The Third Way. Canon so just I, published I, it, so. Okay, yeah. So, well, great. So I'm not against Third Way in itself because if you have two options and you're like, both of those I don't agree with, there's another coherent system of thought that I subscribe to. And that's what I believe. Right. That's a, that's a third way that I, I, I'm behind. And some people might actually call me a third way as if that were, that, that's how it was framed. But, but with Tim Keller, it, it's more like, there are these two sides, there are these political ideologies, left and there's right. And the Christian's job is not to adopt one or the other, but to kind of have this third way where you, you look at each one, you critically analyze it, and you take what's good and you throw out what's bad. Right. And, but that's not the traditional third, third wayism. People, Alan Carlson isn't doing that. He's he's saying what is what is human nature, what is it like in the, uh, how do we exist in the world, what is the good, and then you form a political, sociological, whatever system out of those principles. But his principle is just kind of it seems to be take what you like, take or take what's true, take what's false, and then kind of throw them in a jumbled together third way. And uh, it doesn't produce, I think, a, if, if you all, if, if, all, if all you do is frame everything as left, right, pull what's good and bad, you never actually get a coherent, systematic um, political thought or political theology. I mean, things are supposed to kind of, you affirm this and that that leads to you affirming other things or you affirm these things and it leads to these conclusions. And then you have principles of action and they're all, and so there should be some, like political theology should be something where you provide a robust system of thought, uh, but that, that this third way doesn't do that. And it, but he frames a third way as very much like a evangelistic tool. Yes. So if you are, if you're doing ministry within, within say New York and you're surrounded by a bunch of like, you know, lefties or, or liberals and, and uh, Christianity up until then has been presented as this right wing religion where, if you become a Christian, you have to suddenly uh, adopt red state values and, and politics and like this or that guy. And so if you want to be kind of winsome or evangelistic to these people, you're going to drop, that's, that's going to go away. Or you're going to try to make it so that, well, no, you don't have to become a right wing red state, you know, flag waving Republican. And that's, that's, I think understandable. We can talk more about that, but yeah, but that, that's the approach. And, but then at the same time, you don't want to say, well, it's all, you can be, you can be a lefty because obviously you don't 
trans and gay marriage and abortion and some other stuff that is insane over there. So what do you do? Well, you say neither left nor right. Right. And then you, but, but then, but because you're, this is what frustrates me as a kind of Christian political theorist is that the resulting things that you say about politics is very kind of ad hoc. It's very, if it's, it's for the purpose of evangelism, it's then kind of tailored to whatever that audience is. And it's never presented as like a set of thing that, that is like a standalone, this is biblical political theory. This is biblical theology. It's always framed as, oh yeah, no, you can, you can be a Christian and be neither left nor right and kind of oriented towards that. And so, and that's how people have defended the last couple of weeks to say, well, it's a, it's to be essentially winsome to left-wing people in blue states. And that's kind of all it is. Andy Uh, Stanley last night tweeted out, are you willing to embrace the other's first kingdom ethic of Jesus when it requires you to keep your opinions to yourself so as not to lose influence with outsiders? Are you willing to serve rather than cancel, love rather than demonize, pray for rather than publicly criticize? And he had a graphic with it that said, are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of where he leads you politically? Which I feel like if Doug Wilson tweeted that out, like that means something totally different. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's it does feel like a lot of the, uh, yeah, oddly third wayism. Uh, something else I, I saw you respond to was um, another person that I think our friend out of a coma would be uh, surprised to see is shortly after a shooting that happened in Buffalo, uh, Gavin Ortland tweeted out, white supremacy is evil and it is helpful for us to say so without qualification. This should be uncontroversial within the church, but unfortunately that cannot be assumed right now. Um, you had some thoughts. You you replied to that. How, how do you see that rhetoric functioning in the, in the exact same way, the third way thing, or or is it another principle you see functioning on, on even in your thread? Yeah, I, I think that is, you can say it's an expression of third way or it's an expression of kind of the punch right mentality. Either way, everything, everything has been instrumentalized to appeal to, uh, to, to the left in America. And, and so can, if, if everyone is, if everyone in the news media is condemning this thing, then, well, you need to condemn it too. And that's part of your kind of appeal to the, the, the certain class of people with the United States, you know, within America. Is that you have to you have to so it's the same thing with like you you have to you have to be very vocal against cops shooting un, unarmed blacks right so you you have to be very very you have to be very much against that and, and very public about it and then you find out that only like it happens less than a you know, like fewer than a dozen times every single year um, but it's it's really really important to the the left that 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 is something we condemn and so of course that's what everyone then. Uh, we'll, we'll speak out about as well, even though it's it's not in terms of numbers as serious of an issue as other things. So um, yeah, but again, it's a you have to analyze. It's not the, the the things in they in themselves. I mean, you can condemn white supremacy. It's that you see a pattern of their what they condemn, what they don't condemn. Sure. You see a a guy runs over a bunch of kids in Waukesha, and you get. Maybe someone says, oh, this is bad, or they'll say, oh, it reflects, it, you know, this is awful and it reflects our, the world's brokenness or some, some kind of word like that, where it's, this is actually one of my points in that thread is that uh, later, later on down, um, 
that you mentioned earlier that that when you when you condemn when you condemn something the left does, you, you maintain a lot of generalities, like oh, it's just it reflects the brokenness of the world. Euphemism. Whereas if it's whereas if it's a right, it's only speaking something very specific, or it's from something very specific. Um, and yeah, so so I, I mean, it's I, I think it's clear that yeah, that these guys that that there's a certain pattern, and and it's it's definitely oriented towards being a sort of a sort of like a medium for these talking points but i mean to, to, to be winsome with to, to be winsome towards a certain type of people and what i haven't said yet is that a lot of times this winsomeness i keep using that word but that's what they say helpful uh, winsomeness yeah like helpful yeah, everything has to be kind of helpful i've been, <laughs> I've, been <laughs> I've been pointing that out for about a year or so now they, that we, we use the word helpful a lot yeah I, I find that a little weird but uh but but the thing is, who's who's actually being attacked all the time? Well, it's it's all. It always seems that the third way approach and this punch right, it's always attacking fellow Christians to then appeal to the left. So people will say, "Oh well, I'm just in a blue city or a blue state doing ministry to these people." It's like, well, yeah, but your your rhetoric is inherently anti-red state. So it's not as if you're not simply saying, "Yes, yep." Hey, blue staters, um, I you like justice a lot. Well, so do we. It's, it's more like, yeah, we like justice, but we're not like those people down in, you know, Texas or Louisiana or something. So they, it's framed very much in, we're not those religious hypocrites who live in South Carolina or Georgia. Um, and so it's, so in other words, it's, it's inherently anti fellow Christian in order to appeal to the, the, you know, the, these people, where do you, uh, where do you see this headed? Um, you know, one thing I've noted, uh, and I've seen others as well is, uh, bringing up these good faith debates, for example, uh, from the gospel coalition. It's a, that's a pretty, it, at least it used to hold a very, very high, uh, place in Christian media for sure. Um, but uh, so I just did my first video Canon calls with uh, Becca Merkel, who just put out a documentary and we, we videoed that and put it on YouTube. It, you know, I've never been up on our YouTube before, so there's not like any sort of uh, cult, you know, hair, uh, you know, freight that would carry views. But anyway, my, my interview with her has done more views than any of the debates thus far, as far as since we've recorded, which I think would be very mm-hmm. bad news for them. Um, if like my one off, uh, you know, interview is doing better than like a debate, which YouTube loves debates. Um, so do you see this, you know, do we take that into consideration and think like, this is like a dying breed or, you know, are they elsewhere? What, what is your read on it? And, and what do you think about sort of seemingly like, I wonder if anybody cares to some extent. Yeah, I've. Other people have pointed out that their 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 on their uh, their engagement on Twitter is pretty abysmal. So it's and, and yeah, I think uh, Ad Robles has talked about how he, he has better numbers on his YouTube channel than uh, <laughs> Gospel Coalition and and yeah. So there is something something going on. I I I was blocked. Uh, TGC blocked me on Twitter, so I can't, <laughs> I can't I can't tell. I think on Facebook too, but uh, so I, I can't really get a read on all that. But I, I hear what sure, you're sure. Um, but but the I do think that given the fact that we're that uh, that we are separating on things, that 
that TGC can no longer hold that soft middling position anymore. I, I mean, I, 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 I think that they, they were instrumental in pushing things to the left. So I'm not denying that, but they were always kind of careful, but not, not always in kind of just nudging that direction. I always, I always saw them again, like I said earlier, you frame a debate in a particular way, you make it look as if it's good faith, but really you're just moving things to legitimize a certain position. And in this case, everything they did was legitimizing something more to the left. Right. Uh, and that's, so they were instrumental as that in doing that. But once that was effectively established, I think they, uh, I think that that means they become, became kind of irrelevant. I, I mean, I don't see them as being uh, as relevant anymore. I, I, I don't see any, anyone even kind of getting upset very often about what, what they say or don't say. Um, so, yeah, I think they've kind of made themselves irrelevant by, by pushing the evangelical Overton uh, window. Yeah. So it is interesting, right. In terms of like maybe pressures that they might feel whether to, um, hold particular sway among certain individuals or certain classes of people you mentioned, like, especially if pastors are in blue States and et cetera. But uh, I mean, it is is it is ironic though that it does seem like they're there, but they're therefore now losing a lot of things. What exactly do you yeah, think? Those I, I mean, and, and there's people who've been associated with it, right? That have left. I don't think the Beatty's writing for them anymore. I think Kevin DeYoung. I think he still wrote some things, but he's uh, he's no longer on the board. Um, and and then other people are just kind of getting old. I mean, Tim Keller is getting getting old, and. Uh, John Piper's old and, and see, so it's just that, that, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of institutions that they, they start off strong and then, and then they kind of die away. Um, and I, I, I think for something like TGC, that's, that's totally the case. Do you see, so with that, we'll, we'll just use them as sort of a mile marker. Would you see with TGC losing its relevance? Do you, would you see the Overton window shifting again in terms of uh, like evangelical rhetoric, like do you see it going the way you know the same way TGC is? It's going away, and now we have to prep for sort of a new era. How, what, what would be your best futurist take there? Well, I would I would hope I want to be optimistic. I would hope that there is a a resurgent right wing evangelicalism or or Protestantism. Sure, and I hope to be part of that. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, because I, I'm not a, I'm not afraid to say that I'm I'm right wing and captures the things that I think, um, and and uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that there's a that there is that resurgence uh, and that it's that it's intellectual, it's realistic, it's actionable, and I, I, I from my own connections I know that there's a lot of desire for that that there's some kind of that we can have like an open uh, discussion about things that, um, with, with this sort of, you know, like co coherence and development and all that. But, uh, so I'm hoping, and, and, and I'm hoping that that comes about, that there's, there is that resurgence. Uh, but I, I, I don't see, I, I mean, it's so hard to understand. I, 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 I think that, that once you have these, these guys, uh, with like the the boomer generation guys, yeah. Um, once they once they leave, once they die, I think that we're gonna get a, we're gonna get it's just gonna be a mess among and you're gonna have far more people move towards women ordination. They're just gonna 
just go for it. Instead of hiding it, yep. they're just going to go for it. I think same thing with affirming homosexuality. We're going to move that direction. And uh, so just a certain, a certain egalitarianism is going to just flourish once these guys are gone. And it, it doesn't take, I mean, I think the, the, the Jesus and John Wayne book, I don't want to talk about this in detail, but is it just, it's annoying at this point, but, but <laughs> that, that book, even though it was poor scholarship and I don't really highly respect the author, um, it did, I think it, it is a book that opened the door for certain people to think that it's respectable to become essentially egalitarians. Right. So there are these events uh, that, that occur different times, different ways that, that kind of unleash a certain energy. So you have this pent up energy for egalitarianism, especially among women, single women, other um, resentful and unhappy women. They, they, they have this pent up energy and they find this, this event that then lets them unleash. And I think that there, that there will be things like that both on the left and the right. And so I don't see things coalescing back to a together for the gospel or a, right. You see sort of like a dead sprint to either direction. Would you say the same for the right? Would you uh, see like a sort of uh, doubling down on right principles or would you see like everything, you know, the center is just only going to probably go left? No, I think there's going to, there's going to be people who move to a sort of moderate position. Okay. That they're going to frame things. They're going to, they're going to frame things so that they are a punch right sort of people. Um, and, but they're, they're going to be the moderate, winsome, ironic types. Yeah. And they're going to focus a lot of energy on, uh, on the people to their right. Not necessarily, a, uh, um, contradicting the principles because if you're, if you affirm like classical Protestant principles that can, that could allow you to do some drastic things depending on kind of some of your persuasions on those principles. Um, but I, so I think there's going to be people who try to moderate the right into the way they apply those principles. So they're going to have a certain approach, certain ethos that will bring them into, um, yeah, keep, keep them from certain things. But um, I, I don't know if that's going to be real on the left because everything's so oriented towards beating up the right that I think the left might just be able to flourish without a lot of, um, with a lot of, uh, without a lot of people contradicting them. Now, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but speaking of uh, sort of appealing to the left, um, in your CV, I mentioned, uh, and you recently told me that you are a, a doctoral fellow of Princeton. Did I get that right? Yeah. Tell me about sounds, that. Sounds I mean, fancy, huh? Yeah, it does. Not only does it <laughs> sound fancy, but it sounds... Uh, I mean, there's, there, I assume Princeton credits appeal to the left, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Th then they find out that it's actually part of a program that is a kind of a center right program. It's, it's, uh, it's the James Madison. Program okay. That's, that's part of Princeton. Uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic, uh, legal philosopher, uh, Robbie George runs it. Okay. He's kind of the head professor and it's, it's a well-funded program at Princeton that, that, that gives people the opportunity like myself who recently got the PhD to, to work, do some work for a year, meet people, go to events, get a little bit of money. And then they send you off to contend with the world. So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that to be a part of it. Uh, and generally speaking, people there are conservative. Not everyone's conservative. 
Um, and most people are religious, but not all, not everyone's religious. Uh, there's a there's a, a few Jewish people. There's Roman, mainly Roman Catholics, but also Protestants like me. So uh, it's been you know it's a, it's a great experience, and I really appreciate it. And so, but yeah, being at Princeton, uh, I mean, I did my master's. One of my master's theses was on uh, John Witherspoon, and John Witherspoon was um, a, the president of Princeton back in the founding era. He was a uh, he he taught James Madison and other people in the founding generation. And to, to walk around Princeton is pretty special until you see the sort of people who attend it now. And uh, it's really <laughs> kind of, in that sense, it's depressing. Sure. Um, but it is nice to be around this, this once kind of Presbyterian. Absolutely. You know, uh, university was so important to, to our history. But, um, and then, yeah, it's been great. lastly, you mentioned earlier about just like the importance of a sort of positive and by that, I just mean like non-reactionary um, political thought that like Christians should have one um, where they understand that when I think this, that means all of these other things follow or, you know, just they should be uh, eyes wide open thinking people. Um, can You have a book coming out with Canon on Christian nationalism. Can you talk a little bit about that project and is it tied in with that? Like, are you, are you shooting to, to sort of put forth something close to, a, you know, a kind of system of thought or, or tell us a little bit about the project? Yeah, so it is, I, I would say that it is a, I, I don't, it's not a complete political theory, but I, I would say what I'm aiming to do is to provide a pretty um, solid uh, kind of systematic approach to Kind of Christian political theory or political theology. I call it a work of political theory. Uh, and it's on Christian nationalism. And but it's based in what I take to be classical Protestant principles from the 16th, 17th century. That's mainly where I pull from things. And but it's also nationalist. So it has some, I, I have some influence from later generations that wouldn't really exactly be called reformed. Um, so it's kind of framed in a maybe in in, in parts in more of a modern uh um, method and, and conclusions, but, but yeah, so I, it's, I, I try to, I try my best and, um, to, to be, to be clear in principles and, and the ends of those principles and, and, uh, to provide a, you know, solid political theory. I think one of my, one, one thing I don't, I don't like about a lot of political theology and, uh, today is that people, it, it's like this third way approach. People are, they don't they don't know how to they don't know how to begin from first principles and then work their way into some kind of coherent thought so there's not a whole lot of systematic it's just what what is good and then you kind of affirm it or what seems right and you kind of affirm it um you, you say you're, you're not it's like saying you're not this um so i i am that and there's no working out of uh any kind of coherent thought and it's uh that it, it feels very I mean, like just, that I mean, TGC debate of like, do you want to be on the other side of not saying we should support women outside of the womb or, or, or yeah. you know, people outside of the womb? It feels very like that where. Yeah, I mean, if you read if you read some of the I mean, this is why I love reading like 17th century political works, because you read it and you're like, man, why can't theologians and other than academics write like this where, where they're applying these like logic, like they're applying logic. And they're they're saying, okay, what what am I what do I want to show? I want to demonstrate that this is true, or this is a false, or this is absurd. 
and they actually apply kind of a rational method to, to get to that. But we don't do that. Nowadays, we do like these, like, like you mentioned, like this rhetorical tricks. Like we, we appeal to, well, you don't want to, you don't want to be this guy or and people think this of you or this and that. It's like this, we, we're, we're, it's like we're, 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 uh, we're always appealing to these, just like these disparate um, sentiments that we picked up somewhere as rhetorical talking points instead. And so instead of actually demonstrating what, what you, you believe, we, we often just assert these disparate principles and conclusions that really you've tried to put them together in some coherent form and it's impossible. It's uh so, I mean, anyway, that long story short, I'm, I'm trying to do something a little bit different. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll it works out. Absolutely. Now you also podcast, the podcast is called Ars Politica. And yeah. remind me again, you have a co-host. Yeah, Thomas, uh, Thomas Acord. Awesome. Awesome. Now, do you guys do you guys do that every week? Uh, we try to, but we, we haven't been always able to do that. But yeah, we at least every other week, um, except for the last month because I've been away. But uh, yeah, we, at least every other week we try to do a show. Awesome. Awesome. So if you've enjoyed Stephen, you can go find him there just about every week. Um, Stephen, if you had to recommend, so of course we recommend the book coming out um, soon or eventually. If you were to sort of, man, here's what I would want to give someone who they they know stuff's going poorly. They don't like kind of uh, how things are turning out, but they couldn't really put their finger on it. Do you have any suggested reading? Anything you'd recommend for folks? Uh, yeah, but my, my mind is always stuck in 17th century. <laughs> um, I, 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 I think that if you... If, if you're serious about, say, theology and you wanted to see the better contrast, I would just pick up something like Turretin's Institutes of Valentic Theology. It's dense. It's three volumes. You're not going to get through it all. Sure. But just, just look at how these guys think and uh, how they're, they're doing something so radically different than what we see today. So I think that's, that's one thing if, if, if that's where you're at. That, that's, Turretin's had a lot of influence on me, just the way I approach things. Um, I also think that the... Uh, Althusius's Politica has been influential on, influential on me as well. So Althusius Politica. Althusius Politica. So, Althusius. Yeah, so that, that's, that's his work of politics. And uh, that's, and actually that, that, that book is loved by both the left and right. So there you go. That's fascinating. <laughs> that's fascinating. Awesome. Yeah, I well, think you, it's weird. You really, <laughs> you really can't go wrong with just recommending Turton. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, no, who, yeah, yeah. Who, who could blame you? So, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for offering your time, man. We really appreciate it. And we will definitely have you back when the book releases. Okay. Thanks for having me on. All right. Cheers, man. Thanks. Thanks.